Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ivy Academy podcast, where we discuss career topics in leadership and organizations, unpack the latest research in the field, and look at trends across different settings for insights to share with our audience. My name is Marcy Ross, and I'm the Director of Learning Design and Strategy at the Ivy Academy. We at uh, Ivy Academy acknowledge the Anishinaabek, Haudenosaunee, Adirondack, Lunenopec peoples as the original storytellers and the caretakers of the land on which we are situated. We commit to honoring their past, present, and future. I'd like to encourage everyone to reflect on the history that has brought you to reside on the land and the traditional territories of indigenous peoples where you live, work, and play. I'd like to encourage you to join us in working towards creating a just, vibrant, and inclusive community for everyone. Today, we're accompanied by a brilliant panel of guests. An Ivy HPA grad, Bart Steele is the Executive Director at Ashoka Canada. Rally Rumble, the EMBA grad and the General Manager of Enterprise Technology and Suncore Energy. And a good friend and mentor of mine, Dr. Timo Bansell, Professor at Ivy and the founder of Innovation North of Ivy. Friends, today, our discussion is about purpose and how might we reimagine our organization's role in the society. Although this topic of purpose is not quite new, we see organizations increasingly paying attention to and communicating about their purpose. And things such as how they relate to the social, economical, ethical, and environmental responsibilities. Obviously, one set of good questions to ask is, what might be driving this increase in interest and attention to purpose? We can think about investors and stakeholders' pressures, leaders themselves as a driver of purpose, and of course, the employees who are, thankfully, demanding more than just a paycheck. Another set of good questions to ask is how organizations pick and choose, find or discover, deliberate or debate their purpose. Do they settle for a well-defined, narrow and crisply defined purpose or do they keep it open and allow their purpose to evolve as does the environment around them? What we realize is that something fundamentally different is happening now, and that is the response to broken systems in which we all live and operate. The acceleration of large-scale challenges uh, that we're facing include climate emergency, rising levels of inequality, agriculture and food security. All of this affect organizations, societies, and the sectors in which we all live and operate. It is not surprising to see an increase in attention and interest among organizations to communicate a purpose, the role in helping uh, tackling these big challenges. What we want to discuss today is not necessarily going over various articulation of purpose statements uh, or look at what which company or which organization has, do, has done what in their annual reports. Instead, it's going beyond these articulations or declarations of purpose. And we want to discuss how we transform purpose-driven organizations into behavior. How does purpose change the way we do things inside and in between organizations? Tima, I'd like to start with you. In what ways is the Innovation North, the lab that you have found, relate to this conversation? What was the genesis behind the idea of this lab? Thanks for the question, Mazi. I'm very excited about this uh, topic in general. So Innovation North is a collaborative with um, uh, academics and with uh, executives, uh, innovation executives. And uh, and I have to say, Brad, Bradley and Barb are both members of the lab. So that's very exciting to have them both here. It was built on the foundation that when firms innovate, that they tend to innovate with themselves in mind, with profits in mind. So innovation usually goes through two processes. It's either stage gate, which is where they start with an idea and they say, oh, I can make some money off of this and then go through a number of gates to validate it. Or it's design thinking where they start with a problem, but it's usually a user-centered problem. And then they go through this ideation process that will help solve that problem. The issue with both those approaches is they end up often doing well, good for the organization, not necessarily doing good for the world. At Innovation North, we believe that we can do it differently, that corporations can rethink 
reimagine the innovation process so we create value for the firm and for society all in the same innovation approach. So that was the whole idea. But one thing then connecting it to this topic of purpose is that we realize that it's not just about defining a problem or framing a problem or ideating or understanding the system, that companies really needed to know what their organizational purpose is. They needed to know their North Star in order to ensure that every innovation that they do moves them towards the destination, even though they may never reach that destination. If it's aspirational enough, they won't, but that they will incrementally get to a place that will make the world and the organization's role in that world better. Thank you, Tima. This is um, quite an ambition, uh, ambitious um, project that you've taken on. I'm very, very glad that you have actually been leading this because um, it totally aligns with who you are as a person, as, as, as a scholar. So thank you for that. Um, from your vantage point at Ashoka, and, and if you don't mind, please uh, let everyone in the audience know what Ashoka does. What actions and new behaviors in other sectors or organizations do you see that are most promising? So uh, Ashoka Canada is, I'm going to say, Canada's best kept secret. So glad to be here. Um, we're in the business of finding and supporting social entrepreneurs. And what's unique about uh, the people that we, we support is that they are um, forwarding a system change innovation with the potential to uh, scale continentally. Okay, so these are big time entrepreneurs obsessed with a social problem from often the community where the problem um, has been experienced and we uh, go out across the country, identify them, elect them, bring them into a community of support and support them financially to scale their innovation. So Ashoka fellow Alad Edwards um, is the founder of Structural Genomics Consortium and a pioneer in open science with a specific interest in protein science and drug development. And uh, Alad's group group had um, about five years ago a project on the books to develop vaccines um, that would have been uh, effective or a good launching off place to combat COVID. I think this is such an interesting example and also speaks to the role that NGOs can play and social entrepreneurs in helping us stretch uh, kind of the limits of our thinking um, because this of course challenges competition, relies on collaboration and uh, looks at, I guess, the investment uh, timeframe quite differently than we would um, we would think about as organizational leaders. Um, Barbara, I want to stay with you and, and ask a couple of clarifying questions. I'm not exactly sure if uh, there's the clear distinction uh, known in the business community between an entrepreneur and a social entrepreneur. So if you don't mind uh, just opening that up a little bit for us, that would be great. And then as we're thinking about that, also help us understand, do social entrepreneurs work alone or they actually work in the context of an organization? So as I said, a social entrepreneur has all the amazing qualities of, of an entrepreneur. So creative um, leadership, innovation, um, tenacious, uh, like nobody else's business, but they are literally obsessed with a social problem. So let's say food security, and they have um, probably apprenticed with this problem for their whole life. And 
when they are forwarding an innovation, whether it's uh, it's often through an organization, um, Mazi, that they would start either a social enterprise or an NGO or a charity. They're forwarding um, their thoughts about how to solve this um, system issue through an organization. They also are highly, highly collaborative. And one of the things that we think defines Ashoka Fellows, who are, we think, sort of the creme de la creme of social innovators and social entrepreneurs, is that they're creating roles for everyone else in society. Every engineer, at, uh, a steward of responsible innovation. Thank you. I appreciate that. And so I'd like to actually uh, elevate the conversation from from individuals and social entrepreneurs to large corporations, large organizations. And Bradley, you represent uh, one of the most um, well-established and recognized uh, uh, organizations here in Canada. And of course, globally, your organization has taken purpose quite seriously. And in transforming it into action, what successes or failures have you had? Yeah, great. Uh, Thanks, Mazi. I just wanted to to kind of contextualize a little bit the way I think about purpose for for a corporation, and uh, you know, I, it's interesting to think about. So corporations are legally persons, right? Like that's they were set up to to be uh, legally persons. So insofar as people have purpose and philosophy, so do and should corporations. You know, you see lots of purpose is to make money. Well, okay, if you took that on as an individual, you need to make money to survive, right? Let's see, you do need to make money to be to survive in the world. If that's your only purpose, and if you take a very short-term view of the world, and you don't live up to commitment, and you consume your environment, um, you'd be labeled, a, if not a psychopath, at the very least a sociopath, right? So translating your personal experience and the need to have a personal philosophy to a corporation, um, I think it's incumbent on leadership in a corporation to think about how their corporation as a person participates in the world around them. So yes, they need to make money. You need to make money to survive or you can't do any anything for anybody. But then you have to decide what what it is you're there to do. Now in the case of in the case of Suncor, you know, there was a very in light of all the activities around the energy systems and uh, climate change and the fact that we run an oil and gas business, there was a very serious consideration about okay, so what is our purpose in that space, right? And uh, you know they came out with with a quite understandable common language purpose that, uh, and you can tell it's common language because I can actually remember it without checking my notes, right? And that's to provide the energy that people need while caring for each other in the earth. What does that recognize? It says, okay, as as a contributor to society, first thing we recognize is, is civilization, society, culture, economies, whatever you want to call it require energy, right? Without some sort of energy all the way back to, um, you know, burning wood to keep yourself warm in the in the wintertime, you require energy. So we're here to, we, Suncor is, is taken on the purpose to say, well, we need to provide that energy because people need it. But at the same time, you need to take care for each other in the earth. It means that you're working in a social construct, right? We're working in communities. Uh, we work very closely with indigenous communities. Um, so how do we care for each other as we do that? How do we care for the earth? That's a tough one, right? Because we recognize that that the product that we make to provide that essential energy does have impacts. So as a result, Suncor has taken built on that purpose to actually build out a strategy to take our existing value chain that produces the energy and take that to net zero by 2050 in line with with the uh, climate uh, requirements of the the Paris Accord, but also start to look at other forms of energy, 
right? So if people need energy and there are societal costs to greenhouse gas emissions, you know, how do we manage a transition to energy uh, sources that have, have lower? And that's a, that's a tough and complex uh, and I would say innovative challenge. It's an innovation challenge. I think people in all their roles, regardless of where they participate in the ecosystem, need to innovate. If you take a broader view of innovation, I would argue that that executives do innovate. Uh, and in the in the case of Suncor, what have they done? Well, they've said we're actually going to stand up new businesses with strong targets for future-focused forms of energy, building out hydrogen and the hydrogen economy, so we can have but with clean hydrogen, uh, also working on renewable liquid fuel. So there, you get, if you thought of that corporation. And then as an individual participating in society, they have certain skills and capabilities. We know about liquid fuels. We know about distributing liquid fuels. You know, what if we could find sources of energy that didn't have the greenhouse gas implications and use that knowledge? So I think there's lots of ways to innovate. It's not just technical. In fact, my experience in this role has been probably about 30% technical. The, the scientists and engineers will come up with the with the challenge with the with the solution. Um, the nice thing about the physical world is it corresponds to certain rules um, that are immutable, like gravity and thermodynamics and such. The real innovation is actually on the people side. So you know, this is where where Barb's uh, kind of social innovation is just a different problem set, right? And and what team is trying to do by bringing people that are working on those various problem sets together because it's actually not going to be the technical, it's going to be the the social the value chains, the reorientation of businesses. I'm thinking specifically around energy transition. We have to completely transition how we provide energy to our society, which requires a great deal of innovation. And um, you know, I think it's unnecessary to draw distinctions between the different players. What we need to do is bring those players together to play their part in providing that purpose. Bradley, you've offered a very rich response. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. But I'd like to help um, opening up a little bit more. Let me start with, as you, as you suggested, going into your context. You operate in a, in, a, in a sector, in an industry that um, this is arguably what I'm about to say is correct. Not everyone um, has the same purpose that Suncor does. Not all your players in your sector have the same vision or have the same purpose that you do. One of the difficulties of taking on a purpose is the challenges of it is convincing the community that we can actually declare a lofty purpose. It requires a mind shift from small to huge. How did you and your colleagues, your fellow executives at Suncor, come by and, and recognizing that you are operating in the sector that it is um, arguably not where you are. How, how did you come by in, in, with, with this purpose? What led to that? That's yeah, funny. As I, as I hear you talk, I reflect on the fact I didn't actually answer your previous question. I should probably run for politics or something then, right? Because that is one of the difficulties, right, is is trust and credibility. Okay, so here's the guy from the oil and gas company. He's just going to tell you what, what you what you want to hear to move things forward. So that when you do actually come up with projects and want to work with people on solutions, that is something you need to overcome. And you can only overcome that with, with building trust. And how do you build trust? You do that through your actions. But that is a challenge. Um, you know, on the more um, pointy side of things in terms of, you know, put your MBA brain in mind. What does that mean for investors? You see certain situations if you go too far. The BP example, you say, hey, we're getting out of the oil business. We're going to build wind farms and solar farms. The uh, investors go, yeah, that's great. Uh, we don't share, like, that's not why we invested in you. We're out. And the people that are interested in clean tech say, yeah, you're actually an oil company. I'm not interested in investing. So you do need to be very clear about the message, right? We are going to, the intent is, is to shift the growth plan 
from growing hydrocarbons to growing something else, that doesn't mean we're getting out of hydrocarbons, right? We continue to need, but we're going to use the free cash flow from that to participate in the transition. And some investors are going to come along with you with that, and some aren't. And in, by taking sort of the middle road, sometimes it can be hard to get people to, to buy into that, right? That, that can be a challenge uh, to say, yeah, but I want to actually, I'm a short-term investor. I just want to invest in oil and gas because the gas price is high this week. Not really interested in your hydrogen dreams. Um, and then the hydrogen people, you need to overcome a certain skepticism that you are in it for the long, for the long haul. So living your purpose, building that trust, and then attracting uh, partners, including investors, including governments, including society in general, um, takes time. Can I just um, flag Bradley as you're talking about this, the Energy Futures Lab that Suncor invested in? And I think this is a remarkable example of collaboration across government, corporate, NGO, and the tech sector around innovation. And Suncor certainly was, um, you know, the major force behind making that happen. Yeah. So, I mean, Energy Future Labs is an example of, of uh, where Suncor has participated in, in, in social innovation, right? So recognizing that we have certain capabilities, technical, commercial, we have a connection to customers, etc. Um, so we have some something to bring to the energy transition, but so do many others, right? So instead of talking over the fence and and uh, and whatnot with NGOs or, or or local communities, let's let's bring everyone together, recognizing that innovation is re- going to require a number of diverse perspectives. Now, and it's it's not intended like uh, uh, EFL, the um, Energy Futures Lab, is not you know set, not just kind of you get together for coffee occasionally. I mean, they've set very real goals and they hold each other very accountable to their commitments to that organization. Um, and I think they've done a great job moving the ball forward because it is a very complex problem and you need to get everybody get everybody in the room right uh, this might be controversial and and I'll, I'll premise this as me not some core but it's not as simple as well let's just ban internal combustion engines put uh, evs on the road and everything's good right this is a very complex right down to the consumer and what you choose to consume and how you choose to consume it and how that gets delivered to you. And there are all sorts of players along the way that something like EFL is designed to get in a room and say, so So how can we unpack that and actually get to the problem without arguing about, you know, very specific, just having silly arguments about, about things, but we need to get after the complex, the complex problem. And I don't know, Barb, for me, you probably have some great comments about how that's an example of social innovation. Yeah, um, for sure. Um, and I think a couple of things that are important here is, you know, this requires people who aren't normally in contact to be in a room together um, and the shaping of, you know, a reasonable shared purpose for being there and trust and relationship development. And so Suncor literally funded the startup of this. I'm going to say it's five years ago, Bradley. I don't know. It's certainly a number of years. People who literally, you know, couldn't stand each other's perspective in the room together. And Suncor funded the time to have this carefully uh, facilitated and curated to the point that they've now come up with technology pathways that are being worked on today. So this is the 
social um, part of innovation, you need both. You need social, you need technical. In this case, there was a lot of um, Alberta government at the table as well to support. This is a remarkable way to bring um, sector-wide innovation. And this is where everybody who works in a company can think about uh, how you might contribute to that or lead that. And what the NGO sector needs is multi-year funding enabled to be able to do that. Because you can't do that kind of work, you know, um, on, a, on, on a programmatic, annual programmatic basis. It really requires people to come together and hold hands around the issue. And I, and I don't know if, if you view it as different, Barb, but the third one I always think about is it's also going to require business innovation, like some reorientation about, around industry sectors. So, uh, for example, um, you know, we have a very uh, clear and embedded business process to take to extract oil from the ground, convert it into, into um, fuel products that we sell to the consumer through the distri- distribution. Now, if you want to go ahead and, and find alternate sources, um, you know, bio sources of fuel, actually have to totally rethink your value chain because you're now not going to be extracting the hydrocarbons from the ground. The nub of the science problem is you're taking carbon atoms from under the ground and putting them in the air. Right. So if we want to have hydrocarbons that are using the carbon atoms from the air, I'm getting a little bit esoteric there, but you actually need to think about working with different industries. So forestry, we've never worked with forestry companies before, but if this is really going to work, we need to rethink how forestry work, how maybe you would realign how you do forestry to a um, optimize on the basis of fuel rather than optimizing on the basis of fiber because no one's buying newspapers anymore. So you have to get in the room with them too and say, okay, what would that look like? Because I currently don't have access to forestry uh, products, right? And you currently don't have a market for your fiber. So, you know, can we use, um, you know, your forestry plan as a giant mega solar collector, which essentially takes solar energy and converts it to hydrocarbons called wood and use those hydrocarbons, which have not used molecules from under the ground to power our society. But you need that whole uh, business innovation in, event, in addition to the social innovation around, okay, how are people going to consume this product? And obviously the technical innovation to, to be able to physically do that. Tima, the, um, the conversation that Barb and Bradley are having is really fascinating and it actually gives us really good examples of, of how companies can, can live out their purpose. A couple of things I heard. From the uh, Bradley did a phenomenal job in bringing attention to his innovation is not just technical, the social aspects of it, and also the business model innovation aspects of it. And Bob also hinted at the fact that part of this living out the purpose requires people who typically don't come together. They need to come together. They need to, to work. How do these conversations, how do these points that Bradley and Barber uh, are bringing out resonate with the work that you're doing in innovation? Before I answer that question, it's only to make a, a comment around uh, how purpose has really changed over the years. And I think that we used to have corporate social responsibility and we've had it for decades. And corporate social responsibility was doing good for society or, or philanthropy, or it used to be an add-on to your business. And what's really changed now is that purpose is deeply integrated into the firm strategy and it's no longer just about stakeholders. It's no stakeholder management isn't even a thing. It's really about seeing the world as a system and you have a role in the system that's really changing. As you think about your own business, as Suncor thinks about their business and Ashoka Fellows think about what they're going to innovate, they say, well, where is the world going and how do I make that world better in that, in that 
future. So one thing that the uh, Innovation North, the Lab at Innovation North is doing, we're trying to innovate the innovation process so that's more systems oriented. One is really trying to figure out where that future is. And of course, none of us know. There's many futures. And by thinking about not just what is the probable future, which right now does not look very good in terms of climate change. We have to think about the possible or the desirable futures. And as we start to think about the desirable futures, then we recognize that using some of the examples that Bradley put on the table is that we cannot use fossil fuels that have taken uh, millennia to develop and then release that carbon into the air. So we actually have to think about moving the carbon from the air into the energy forms that we do. So then Suncor, which will not which will continue to be an energy company as opposed to an oil and gas company, has to think about, well, what does that desirable future look like as Ashoka does? But they have a number of domains in which they can work about what is that desirable future? And then what is it that we need to do to get there? And that's when you start to reimagine what your company does and who it works with. And I think that that's really different than the way that many companies think about innovation. Like I said earlier, they're either thinking about the problem that they have, which is often declining sales or competition at their doorstep, or they think about solutions like, oh, we've got artificial intelligence, and what do I do with this? Rather than thinking about what is that future, what is that purpose that we can move towards, and how can I incorporate that in what I do? Recognize that I want to be part of a larger system and not just operate in a silo. Does that answer your question, Leslie? It does, Tima. Thank you. But it also it raises another one because you just mentioned that you're saying that um, the the practices of how organizations, upon reimagining uh, the design future, imagining the design future and reimagining themselves in those, they need to operate things differently inside their organizations. And you said there are different. I'd like to get get us talking about this. So, what are these differences? And if you can share with us some. But then I'm going to go to Barb and ask a very similar question. Barb, the question I'll be asking you is: at social entrepreneurs. What skills, beyond just simply being passionate, you mentioned that they are deadly passionate about the issues. Beyond passion, what other skills they require in order to be successful in, 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 in achieving their purpose? And Bradley, the same thing inside the organizations I'm looking at. But let's start with Tima. Tima, what are some of these differences that you see organizations need to take on? Sorry, uh, I'm not sure if I fully follow the question, Masi, when you say differences. Different yeah, I mean, uh, differences in practices. You said, uh, Bradley, for instance, imagine that they, they you probably have to rethink uh, the relationship with stakeholders, uh, reimagining their, their supply chain, for example. That was um, one other example that was brought up. You also brought up rethink innovation. Oh. And so we even approaches and processes of innovation need to be different. What are these differences? That That is terrific. And once again, I just want to take a little sidestep. I think it's what's really exciting about this purpose conversation is that it elevates the conversation from making money to what is our place in the world. And as soon as we get into pro-social orientation, as soon as we start to think about uh, the intrinsic motivation of what I can do better for society, we enter a creative space. And that creativity is so critical to what both Barb and Bradley have talked about, to innovation. Innovation is actually... Innovation at the corporate level is a bunch of creative people getting to do what they want to do, right? And, and thinking about the world in a different way. So what's different? We have to think about problems in a new way. And so it's not about problems like we our sales aren't going to be as good this year. It's the problems that we can solve and lock for society. It's about not understanding the problem from the space of the stakeholders, as I said earlier. It's about recognizing the larger system in which the problem lies. I know a little bit more about, you know, I think Bradley and I probably know each other about 
15 years or so. But uh, in, in the case of oil and gas, indigenous communities have been often invisible uh, to oil and gas companies. And I think what makes it really different um, in terms of mapping the space in which you're operating is that indigenous communities become visible or future generations become visible. That's partly what's different when you have purpose-driven organizations that you widen the lens that you look at to include people that often are included. And uh, and then um, I already talked about ideation, creativity is really different when you have a pro-social orientation. I think I'll stop there and let Barb and Bradley weigh in. Dara, thank you, Tima. Yes, Barb, if you don't mind. I mean, you did hint at, or if I can help with that, you did hint at people who typically don't get uh, together and, and collaborate with each other need to come together. So what are these skills? Well, what are the necessary capabilities for, for leaders to put purpose into practice? Okay, so I think, you know, great leadership, which we know every Ivy grad has, and confidence and tenacity and smarts. So that's like cost of entry. I'd say what differentiates here is um, empathy. And we haven't heard about that on this call yet. And that's a foundation principle for everything that we do at Ashoka, that we're coming from a place of empathy. Um, and I would say, uh, I agree with, I was just reviewing what our change maker skills, that's what we call it while Timo was asking. And she hit on a lot of them, but we would say collaborative leadership, collaborative problem solving. And, uh, but that piece about truly, you know, understanding that your place in the world is not just about you, but about the system that you're part of. And that actually shifts your orientation and um, everything that you do. And then they are action oriented and they cannot rest until they uh, have seen action on this problem. So it's, it's like, you know, deep listening, easy to say that could be your life's work, you know, to really, um, to really become a truly deep empathetic leader. I'm just looking at our Ashoka fellow criteria creativity, entrepreneurial quality, social impact of the idea. Is it practically um, designed and is there a strategy underpinning it that will allow it to scale across the country or across the continent? We evaluate on, is this a bold new idea? And then there's another thing that hasn't come up yet, which is really, we call it a knockout criteria, ethical fiber. Ethical fiber. Ethical fiber in the person? <laughs> in the person. So we elect an Ashoka fellow for life because we know they're making change now. They often, you know, set up and get a successful organization running. And then as Alamansky would say, they see the next inflection point. So they put a succession plan in place and move to the next level of influence in the system they're working in. So ethical fiber. Thank you. Bob, I want to throw another question at you, if you don't mind. And this may not be um, as, as difficult as the last one that requires looking up through your website. You operate in an, in the NGO space. You operate in a space with, with uh, individuals who are passionately um, and ethically driven on, on these challenges and on, on all these causes. In your work, um, can you share some examples how you have collaborated with for-profit organizations and how that collaboration, how the bridging of an NGO and a for-profit organization has come together? Mm -hmm. I realize that an early example of this was the Energy's Future Fire. Right. I realize yeah. that was an early example of this. I, I'm wondering if you can give us another example. Yeah, I have two that are in my mind. Um, 
Messi. One um, is also a practice member of the lab, and this is CPA, so Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. And I was working with them, I'm going to say maybe three or four years ago, on the natural capital lab, which was how do we put nature on the balance sheet? Like that's a bit of a mind blower, right? Um, and um, there are examples around the world, they're early stage. And this is, you know, shifting, coming, like I couldn't have been more delighted that CPA will come in as a partner in this work. And so there's an example. And I would say that was board driven. There was the energy to invest. So I think the R&D part of CPA saw that this could be a place as they move more deeply into this type of conversation, they would continue to be able to recruit, retain, and have more impact, right? So that's that's one. Another one I would throw out is anything around the circular economy. And um, so this um, there's a Canadian plastics consortium right now um, being, you know, and you can imagine the members of that are, are companies with a major plastics footprint. We got to solve this problem. But I was just realizing on this call, all of these examples are what we're calling labs, social innovation labs, because we're getting together. We don't know what the outcome is. You know, trust us, we'll get the right people at the table. We need some um, good, solid resourcing and intelligence to um, map a way forward. Here's a huge role that academia could play as well. Um, and so I hope that answers your question. I guess. It does. And it resonates with me because complex problems require new thinking. And, and so the idea of a lab makes a lot of sense because the lab is a space in which you can actually be reflective of how you're approaching the problem-solving process itself. So, so it makes a lot of sense. And thank you for that. Bradley, um, in your organization, Pursuing Purpose, can you share with us some other examples around how doing so required partnerships and collaboration? And were some of the successes and challenges in partnering with others lied? Yeah, sure. See, I was all set up to answer your question about what's changed. And now you've, now you've asked me another question, Mazi. So, uh, um, you know, examples where we've, um, I, I mean, this whole business of, of how to um, collaborate differently um, need, needs to start with, well, obviously starts with the purpose, right? So the purpose has shifted, right? So the purpose has shifted from, you know, a, a strategy of, of energy growth, right? So I, so I will talk a little bit about what's changed, right? So my dad, fun fact, was also a chemical engineer that worked for an oil and gas company. He worked for Shell. And the problems of the day were energy security, right? 70s. Um, you know, what are we, how are we going to provide energy to our uh, economy and to our society such that we, you know, we don't, uh, we don't have an economic crisis? So I'm not sure anything changes. Like as a deep, as a deep history geek, I think people are always evolving and innovating. Um, but the nature and requirement of innovate for innovation ebbs and flows right so so we're in a we're currently in a situation where we require deep innovation because we're looking in, in the case of energy in particular we're looking at totally rewiring how we power our society so that's that's kind of a big deal that's not just a technical thing right that requires many many business social dimensions etc so that's why you see this increased energy and this kind of shift towards that kind of innovation versus the innovation of of my father's day, right? Another fun fact, my dad, dad discovered the other day to his shock and horror, population of the planet's like doubled since he was born. So what you're actually seeing is increased pressure on the planet 
uh, as a result of the success of the solutions he found. Right, so we got energy security. You know, we decreased uh, uh, mortality, increased economics, more people on the planet. Now we've created another problem. So I think there's there's just this constant evolution of, of problems before us, and and depending on the era you're born, you either get like a simple set of problems or a more complex set of problems. And I think currently we're in the midst of a very complex uh, set of set of challenges. So so that requires the kind of collaboration that that you're talking about. And to get that to work, we we need to change some paradigms around you know, how we approach. This is not about I think you mentioned earlier selling widgets and gadgets, right? This is not a Silicon Valley solution where somebody's going to build an app in their basement and that's going to solve this is a, this is a physical problem that requires you know many individuals to to weigh in um to solve that so we need people instead of falling in love with a particular solution like it's all going to be electric vehicles and not to bash them that's part of the problem but that's not it right you need to fall in love with the with the problem which is how do we provide energy to the planet without moving all these carbon molecules from underground into our atmosphere. And you need, you know, very similar to what Barb's talking about, people to passionately fall in love with the challenge as opposed to passionately falling in love with their particular solution and piece of it. And that's where you get to these collaborations. And and one of the roles that I see you know, a company like Suncor playing is that connector piece, right? So we take the solutions that the entrepreneurs have come up with. Well, they can't do anything with that unless they can deploy it. Well, we can deploy it. Scaling up is difficult unless you have a deep uh, sense of how to operate and maintain big assets. You need to attract finance. You need some government support in in the sense of policy and regulations. You know, you need some NGO support and some community understanding and involvement, right? One of the things that that Suncor has done is, is uh, I think Barb kind of hinted at it, is our sorry team, I think, hinted at it, that you know, we now involve local indigenous communities, not as, oh, you know, we're going to spend a bunch of money with you. They invest. Like they invest in infrastructure and assets that we build together, and they benefit from those from those activities, right? And and not just as hangers on, but as actual um, owners. And you need to rethink kind of how you... Uh, how you approach that problem because you're sol- you're trying to solve a big complex societal business problem and that's that's the joy of where we are today like the uh, chinese proverb or curse depending on your orientation right may you live an interesting time Thank you. Uh, Tima, um, Bradley's uh, hinting at this um, a paradigm shift that for pursuing purpose, collaboration is, is uh, necessary. Can you um, help us uh, unpack that a little bit further? It, you know, it's like the perfect segue, Mazi. Um, you're, you're a genius at this, but Bradley says uh, we're living in interesting times. And there's no question that today is different from yesterday. This is not like when I was younger, the 1970s, and we're worried about nuclear war. This is really different. And what makes it different is that, one, that we're more connected than we ever have been before. And so communication technologies, transportation technologies, supply chains. And so a pandemic, a disease in Wuhan is now global and it's almost unbeatable after two and a half, two, two years. It's, it's, it's worse than ever, I think that we could have ever imagined. We have climate, we've li- reached our limits to growth, our industrial limits to growth. And so we are at a point of, of massive weather changes, but then biodiversity loss that could be our sixth mass extinction. We can't do it alone. No one 
actor can do it alone. And Shoka fellows get this, oil and get progressive oil and gas companies get this, that we need a purpose. A purpose has to be forward-looking. It has to be aspirational. It has to be a problem or a world that we want to see better. But that means that no one can solve those problems alone. We have to work together. We have to work with people that we didn't expect to work with. And we have to do things in a whole different way than what we used to. The paradigm isn't doing less than we used to do before, that will not solve our problems. And we've gone past that point. What we have to do is do things differently. And so I think that we need a very different approach to innovation. And Bradley said this, we are not an internet platform in Canada that we just hang on some new apps and solve the problem. We can't have a platform technology here. What we need to do is to figure out a whole different way of doing things and, and delivering energy or, or solving some of the food uh, security problems or figuring out how we live in buildings so that we don't need to use up all our green space. Yeah, the future has to look really different. It's not about going backwards. It's about going forwards in a different way. One of my favorite books that I've recently written, I've not written, Ah, I've recently read, yes, I've I've read recently. Uh, It it has a beautiful uh, topic uh, and a beautiful cover of it. It says, to solve world problems, click here. It's a critique of this um, pressing the button, single app, single pill approach to solving world's problems. It's a big critique of that, that, you know, like we are, we have gotten into this idea that if we come up with that just one app or uh, just one tiny little turnkey solution, all the problems evaporate, it isn't. In fact, uh, what's necessary is this, this Bradley's point, deep innovation, Barb's point, this ethical fiber um, added to this passion for social change. And Timo, your point in this mindful approach to working with others in this systemic approach to solving problems makes perfect sense. I'm going to say to all the leaders on the call, you know, here's a problem. The NGO world has a lot of solutions and there's not an easy mechanism to connect with business. So I'm thinking about that. And um, if you're also thinking about that, perhaps we could have a conversation because that's really where I think exciting change could happen. And I want to just also throw out Mazzy and Tima, you know, the need to ensure that all the young people we're educating bring a social environmental perspective to the decisions that they're making. Barb, you're raising a really good point. Bradley, I mentioned in passing, but I think it's it's a very critical point. Bradley, you mentioned at one point of time that Sonko realized that one of the things that you could do is be the connector, the catalyst in bringing people together. So one strong role in terms of the, how organizations can play roles in a society is not always necessarily going after uh, directly investing in the in the in the solutions for um, the problems that we're facing but also being catalysts being connectors and, and this is the point that I think um, it's being raised here and Barbara is recognizing that the interface between the NGOs and the corporate worlds needs uh, more connection it needs it needs a stronger partnerships there thank you Barbara Bradley what are you thinking about I guess what I would also encourage folks to think about is you know just like any corporation is a is a legal entity. We all have a part to play individually. And again, I, I'm, I'm somewhat obsessed with the energy transition uh, challenge that we have right now. But I think often we look to governments and oil and gas companies, governments and companies to solve this thing. And then we drive off in our SUV. 
right? So, I mean, we all have a part to play. I think that's the point here, that innovation is not widgets and gadgets. Innovation is totally rethinking how we energize and consume, in this case, our energy, to continue to have uh, the benefits of that energy in terms of you know our lifestyles, in terms of our economies. I mean, there are still massive swaths of the earth that, that are living in deep poverty because they don't have access to the energy and they're hungry for it, right? So, um, and here we here we kind of waste it, right? The energy that goes into an iPhone that you throw away every two years, the uh, the how you choose to get to work, etc., the things that you consume, the vacations you take. I mean, we all have a part to play in this innovation cycle, and I think it, it, we need to change the rhetoric from "Hey, government," who by the way is us, and "Hey, corporations," who's like a bunch of us, into "What am I going to do? How how do I just take my little part of the world?" Because that's what Suncor is trying to do. What can we do with with our capabilities and our part of it and our little our piece of the world to participate and do better? We all have that opportunity to take our capabilities and our part of the the world and make that better. I thank everyone here on the panelists for this very insightful and uh, hopeful dialogue. We started with purpose uh, where we are, and we ended up with deep innovations and collaborations and and everything in between that's necessary for us to do. Whether we are coming from for-profit, not-for-profit, where the entrepreneurs or executives. Love the fact that we covered all of that. Brad, Barb, Tima, thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. We'd like to extend further thanks to our guests, Brad, Barb, and Tima, for taking the time to share the knowledge and insights with us. The Ivy Academy podcast is produced by Melissa Welsh, Sean Eklund-Grant, and Joanna Shepard. Editing and audio mix by Carol Eugene Park. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe for similar content in the future. Please visit ivyacademy.ca or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram using the handle at ivyacademy. If you liked this episode, make sure to subscribe for similar content in the future. You can also learn about our organization, the Ivy Academy, and check out all our activities, events, and programs. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to having you with us for the next episode.